Hey, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well, and I'm so glad. Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad that you're here today uh, at Hilton Head Island Community Church because today is, is a big day. We kick off a brand new series called The Case for Christ, and uh, I'm really excited about the series that we're going to be in all through uh, the Easter uh, season, and uh, really glad that you've joined uh, in with us today. My name is Todd. I'm the lead pastor, if I don't know you, and uh, today we are going to be, in week one, taking a look at um, really what it means you know, to kind of discover some of the, the, the claims of Jesus and, and really investigating the case for Christ, as a guy by the name of Lee Strobel did many, many years ago. Uh, he was a journalist, and he worked for the Chicago Tribune, and he had a crisis in his life, and here's kind of the gist of his crisis, as he write, writes about in his book. The gist of his crisis was he was a skeptic, he was an atheist, and his wife surprised him one day and told him that she had decided to believe in Jesus as her Savior. And so he began to investigate the claims of Christ as a way of rescuing her out of Christianity. I love that. And as a journalist, he really took an honest, deep, investigative approach to the claims of Christ. And after two years, he himself came to Christ through his investigation. He wrote this book uh, years and years ago. It's a book that uh, is kind of a modern-day classic. And just recently, um, they've made a movie out of the, the story of his life in this, in this book. And so the movie comes out actually next weekend, and we're going to be a part of, we've actually bought a whole theater uh, next Sunday at uh, 4 o'clock. We bought the 4 o'clock show, show up at 3.30, all right? So uh, bring a friend with you, and we as a church, there's no cost to you. You have to buy your own popcorn and, and Coke and everything, but we bought the tickets, okay? So show up at 3.30 and, and with a friend, and you can, uh, you can be a part of seeing this, this movie that's coming out. And I got to tell you, I'm really uh, pleased with how they've done and, and what they've done because they've remained so true to Lee's book, and they've remained true to the Word of God. And, and so we're going to be looking at, at that today, but today what we're going to be looking at is investigating the case for Christ, and we're going to be exploring the, uh, the case for Christ next week and really looking at what it means to trust the claims of Christ and that sort of thing all through these next few weeks, and then sharing the message of Christ. But today we're looking at investigating it. And, and Lee is at this uh, kind of this, this juncture in his life where he, there's this tension between what he is starting to learn as a journalist about Jesus' claims and what he himself wants to believe. There's this tension that begins to exist, and he's in the newsroom, and he's expressing his tension, and all of a sudden, one of his co-workers, a guy by the name of Kenny London, who's the religion editor at the time uh, for the Chicago Tribune, comes over, and he hears this going on, and he addresses some of the things that he hears Lee saying. Well, check out the screens here. Check this out. What are you doing here? I thought you were banished. <laughs> hey. What's the matter? You people and your God, you just, you know, you talk in circles, you offer... You offer just enough evidence, but never enough to be conclusive. Then you fill in all the gaps with, oh, well, yeah, you just got to have faith. It's a bunch of nonsense. You're really irritating. You know that? <sighs> don't start with me, Kenny. You don't waste a lick of time bragging to all of us how great a reporter you are. So why can't you put up or shut up on this story? What are you even talking about? Here's where the chili meets the cheese, my friend. 
One of my heroes was C.S. Lewis, a man who began as a skeptic, much like yourself. At the end of his journey, you know what he said? He said, if Christianity is false, it's of zero importance. But if it's true, there's nothing more important in the entire universe. So you want your wife back? Well, hey, guess what? People in hell want ice water. Not everybody gets everything they want. Stop blaming me and the church and God and do your job. Stack up the evidence, follow the facts, and write the story, win or lose. I think we can learn a lot from just that little clip from the movie, and, and you can see more of that at the beginning next week. Uh, but uh, one of the things that, you, that we can learn, I mean, other than the fact that there's a, a new phrase that I didn't know, when the chili meets the cheese. I love that, and yeah, I've never heard that one before. I'm going to be using it, though, okay? I promise. But there's a lot, I think, that we can learn from the tension that we saw there in that. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where maybe you've been talking to someone that's uh, maybe perhaps skeptical uh, about Christ or skeptical about God, um, or perhaps they're even cynical. And Lee talks a little bit about in his book and in the movie, you'll hear about him moving from a, a, a skeptic to a cynic. And, and I don't know if you've ever had that kind of conversation or perhaps you've been the Lee in that conversation, or maybe even today you're sitting here and you're like, man, I just kind of connected with his frustration and his tension. And, and I think a, a clip like that, when you see that kind of conversation, or maybe you've had a conversation like that, or maybe you're in the midst of a, a longer conversation with someone, I think what it does is it really highlights the fact that when we consider Christ, when we really take a look at the claims of Jesus, sometimes we come up upon these barriers or what we're going to title spiritual sticking points. We have these, these, these kind of moments or, or these, maybe it's not just a moment, but maybe it's kind of like a whole, you know, like moving towards something where we, we really get stuck and we have these sticking points, and so we're going to be taking a look at what I believe are four of the most common sticking points for people in general when considering the case for Christ. Now, I realize that we're going to be spending four weeks, and we're going to be doing different things, and a lot of you are like, yeah, I already know all this, so this really doesn't apply to me. And here's my prayer, kind of a twofold prayer for all of us throughout this series. Number one is, is my prayer is, is that there would be some skeptics or cynics or maybe seekers or doubters who walk in this building over the next few weeks, and they would really, like, you know, investigate the, the claims of Jesus and give some, some serious consideration to it. But my prayer for, for those of us who are already Christ followers, who already have that belief, and we already have that trust, and we've received that, and we know what happens when we die, uh, my prayer for, for us is, is that we would learn from this tension, we would learn from investigating these claims, and be able to be more prepared to give an answer, as the Bible says. And so this is really for those of you who are doubters and skeptics and Christ followers alike. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can open up, open up to Acts chapter 8. We'll be in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at um, a great story, one of, I know I always say this, one of my favorites in the Bible, of uh, Philip and, and an Ethiopian man and the encounter that they have. And the Ethiopian man is a lot like Lee Strobel in the book and in the movie. And we're going to be taking a look, kind of using that as a springboard to find out what are four kind of key sticking points that people have 
when considering Jesus. And perhaps those of you who are doubters will consider. And perhaps those of you who are Christ followers and may still have some doubt would strengthen, be strengthened in your faith. And perhaps those of you who are strong in your faith would now share it. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 40, and we're going to read straight through, and then we'll go back and, and consider different parts of this. And so this is the story about the first church and the story about the beginnings of the church after Jesus is gone. Let's take a look at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, one of the uh, people who follow Jesus closely, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge, this man, this uh, Ethiopian eunuch, of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. We're going to come back to that phrase in just a moment. He came to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Verse 32, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked, does this prophet say this is, this is about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. We'll come back to that in a moment, too. He opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, said, see, here's water. What prevents me right now from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Estes, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns he came to Caesarea. Now, just a little bit of an explanation here. Philip is called by God to um, go to Jerusalem. He has no idea why. And I want to just consider before we dive in to the four spiritual sticking points that we see in Lee's life and we see in this Ethiopian's life and we see sometimes in our life. Before we do that, I, I want to point out a couple things that Philip does because I think it's important for us who are here today, who are Christ followers, to, to see this from this passage. Philip heard a word from God to go and to travel down this road, and he had no idea. But you know what he did? He obeyed. And then when he saw this chariot coming and he saw this, this Ethiopian, he, God told him to, to go over. And you know what he did? He didn't just go over. What does it say? He ran over and then he hears the word of God being explained. And when he's given the opportunity 
Philip explains, or he's, here's the word of God being read, and when he's given the opportunity, when he hears that, he takes that opportunity and he explains to this Ethiopian what the word of God says. And I think that we just need to pause for a moment because those of us who are in here and those of you who are in here who are, are strong in your faith walk, um, sometimes we can get really complacent in our faith walk and there is no room for complacency in, in our faith walk because you know what, people, um, like, the decision is not just a decision about daily life. This is a decision about eternity. And I love, I love Philip's obedience. He was called to go on the road. He obeyed. He was called to go over to the chariot. He obeyed. And then when given the opportunity to explain the word of God, he obeyed. And he did what God said. Now, let's talk about the spiritual sticking points that we see here in this Ethiopian's life and in uh, Lee's life and in many of our lives. And let's talk about these four common spiritual sticking points that I think we all have from time to time. The first one is this. I can't believe. I can't believe. That is a legitimate spiritual sticking point. That is a legitimate barrier that we just can't believe. It's like someone who, who may have like an intellectual block of, of understanding what the Word of God says, and we'll come to understanding in the third one a little bit more, but it's almost like a scientist who can't justify faith because everything has to make sense. Are you with me? Or a mom or dad who lose a, a son or daughter or have a tragedy in their life, and they say, how in the world could a good God allow this to happen, the problem with evil in the world? Or a lawyer who wants to make a case for everything and faith doesn't fit in to the case for everything. And so we have this problem, this intellectual block, this kind of you know, spiritual sticking point that really has to do with, I just can't believe. And we see this in, in a very famous follower of Jesus, a guy by the name of Thomas. And we always put a word in front of his name. What do we say about Thomas? He was what? Doubting Thomas, right? And it's a little bit of something that, like, we say, and we kind of, you know, those of us who are Christ followers, we might scoff at that, right? We kind of snicker at it, doubting Thomas. But I think we've all been there before, haven't we? We've all had doubts. Here's what John writes in John 20, 25 about this doubting Thomas. So the other disciples told him um, when Thomas asked, where is Jesus? We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his, uh, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will, say that next word with me, never believe. And that's Thomas. But before we get cynical, before we criticize Thomas, we've all been there, haven't we? We've been there. And some of you, maybe um, you're like me, maybe you came to faith early in your life and like your doubting came after you trusted Christ as your Savior. Hey, listen, that can be much more confusing sometimes. It really can. And so we have this problem. I can't believe. I can't believe. Just like Thomas said, I will never believe. And one of the things I love about the story of this Ethiopian man is he never stops trying to figure He may have tension. There may be tension there, but right out of the gates, it said that he was in Jerusalem. What does it say? He was what? Worshiping. 
So he was trying to figure it out. It would be the equivalent, and maybe some of you are right in this story, like you're right here with this Ethiopian. Like uh, you're here today, and, and you're worshiping because you're trying to make sense of it all. You're a seeker, and you just keep seeking, and that's a good thing. And I want to encourage you to continue to seek and continue to, to research and continue to try to find out because if you stop, then there's no hope for you to ever believe. If you stop, if you stop and, and don't have more of a resolve and don't continue to actively seek God, then you have no hope. And in golf, we say if a, if a putt falls short, we say never up, never in, right? You know, and it's like a, a, a short putt has never gone in the hole. If we stop seeking... Even in our doubt, if we stop seeking, we never have the opportunity to believe. And Jeremiah the prophet said this in Jeremiah 29, 13. He says, you will seek me and, say that next word with me, find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And what the prophet is saying there is if you have a genuine pursuit of trying to figure God out, and in this case, the claims of Christ, his son, he says, if you seek me, you will find you will find me. Vigo Olson found God. He was one of the very first missionaries to Bangladesh. Well, he and his wife, Joan, were skeptics. They were stuck on this first spiritual sticking point. They had come to the conclusion, I can't believe. He was a, he was a surgeon, and, and everything had to make sense in his life, and everything had to be logical and scientific, and he was just really struggling with this whole idea, and he came to the the, the place where he just said, I can't believe, but curiosity and, and searching for God was a pursuit that he didn't want to give up. So he kept searching and he kept searching and he began investigating like Lee did. And Olson finally got to the point where he investigated it so much and he, he drew the conclusion that it's true. Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Faith, he's written a couple books, The Case for uh, for Christ, and then the case for the creator, the case for faith. In his book, the, the Case for Faith, he quoted a scientist by the name of James Tour, head of the nanoscience, some of us don't even know what that is, center of, uh, for uh, Rice University. And he said this, James Tour said this, I build molecules for a living. He said, I cannot begin to tell you how difficult the job is. I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. And he said, only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say that science takes away from faith. If you really study science, if you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. It'll bring you closer to God. And so in the case of Vigo Olson, he was kind of took a scientific approach to, to testing the claims of Christ. He took a historical approach to testing the claims of Christ. And eventually, he and his wife became Christians. They eventually accepted Christ as their Savior. There, there, was, there was no other option. When they got to the end of the investigating, there was no other option. And not only did they accept Christ as their Savior, but they gave up their, their life of, of pleasure and went on the mission field and went to a a place that was dangerous for them to go, and they began to do mission work there, and they ended up starting over 125 churches there in Bangladesh. Lee Strobel, in the case for the Creator, says that Olson declared this, we wouldn't have missed it for the world. In my opinion, finding the purpose for which God made you, whatever makes you for whatever it may be, 
and, and then fully pursuing it is simply the best way to live. If you're here today and, man, you've really been struggling with this whole idea of what's my purpose? What, what am I here on earth to do? Why am I here? Why am I living? Oh, man, if you can find, if you can find that answer, the case for Christ, then all of a sudden the purpose falls into place. All of a sudden, your mission falls into place. All of a sudden, why you're here on earth falls into place. And listen, God will not play a game of spiritual hide-and-seek with you. He won't tease you along the way. He won't mess with you. If you seek him, if you seek him, he will answer. I really believe that if you seek with an open heart. And there are a lot of different ways to investigate. A couple ideas here just before we move on to that second spiritual sticking point. Number one, if you're here and you are a skeptic or a doubter or maybe you, know, you, you don't want to tell the person you're sitting next to but you really are doubting, make, make, a, make an effort to come these next few weeks because we're going to really unpack some of the detail, especially next week, on evidences about Jesus' death in particular. And so stick with us. Find, find other Christians who who really, you admire their faith and, and ask them questions. Come to Roots on Wednesday night. We're, we're right here at 7 o'clock. We meet in the cafe over here, and we're going to be studying this more in depth. And, and then the last thing is, is always read the Bible. Read God's Word. If you really are considering God and you're considering Jesus and you want to make the case for Christ, don't miss the, the Word that was given to us from God from his word, and, and, and check other people who uh, make claims about him, myself included, by the way. Look to God's word. Look to God's word for the truth. The second spiritual sticking point. Don't say that. You can't say that five times fast, by the way. Okay, the second spiritual sticking point is I don't want to believe. So, so we have this idea that I, I can't believe, and then the second one is I don't want to believe. And I believe that this is one of those spiritual sticking points that, like, we really are struggling with giving it all over to God. This is the idea that, like, maybe there's something in our life that we don't want to leave, that we know if we accept him as our Savior, we know that we're going to have to leave. Maybe a lifestyle or a thing that's kind of trapped us, it's got us, but we like it, and it's nice, and it's pleasurable. And we know that if we accept him, we're going to be truthful and honest and genuine. We're going to have to have that be consistent with his word. And we just don't want to leave it. I'll tell you, if you continue seeking for Christ, if you continue seeking and investigating the claims of Christ, it's going to be exposed. That's going to come out. Uh, you know, the, the Bible speaks as John 3.19. Just shortly after John 3.16, um, it's written, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And I think we have to understand that one of the barriers that, that keeps us from, from believing is maybe just this idea that I just want to be who I am. I don't want anything invading my space, my choice. And so we may have this barrier, man, I want to do what I want to do. Listen, I want you to hear this today. God does not expect you to be cleaned up before you come to him. <laughs> but in coming to him, after you believe in him, there will be change if it's true. There will be change if it's true. 
And some people use that as a barrier. Some people also use intimacy with God. They fear that intimacy, that he's going to, you know, i got to get so close to God. And what does that mean? And I don't even know how to have a relationship with another human being. Forget the God of the universe. How in the world am I going to do that? We also may have a hidden authority issue in our lives. And so some people say they can't believe. For others, I don't want to believe. And then thirdly, the third spiritual sticking point is I don't know what to believe. Man, I don't know what to believe. And this is where this, this great story of Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch just really hits home. Because in, in his searching, he, he's, he's reading this, and, and Philip takes the opportunity to explain it to him. Check out verse 34 here. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom is, is this verse that I just read or this passage from the prophets? Does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and he began with a scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. He used his mouth to proclaim the good news. And what Philip did, I don't want you to miss this, is Philip took something that was a fog in this Ethiopian's mind, and he helped bring clarity to it. And isn't that our job as Christ followers, is to help bring clarity to the scriptures? I realize there, there are parts of the Bible that are very difficult to understand. If you go home today and you're like, I'm going to read the Bible straight through this year, I'm going to start today and I'm going to finish in a year, and you start in Leviticus... It's going to be a rough road, okay? I want to encourage you not to start in Leviticus, all right? Start maybe in Matthew, all right? But anyway, there are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. But I want to make this as clear as it can be. The salvation message, the gospel message, the message that sin separates us from God, that's clear. The message that God solved that problem by sending his son to die for our sins, that message is clear. The fact that Jesus was buried and three days later rose again from the dead so that we can have eternal life in heaven one day when we die, if we accept him as our Savior, that message is clear. And I think sometimes we may take the offer of clarity and we may want to ignore it. I don't have a 16-year-old yet, but it may be a little bit like a 16-year-old who... um, has gotten their driver's license, and mom and dad says, we trust you, but you'd have to be home by 11 o'clock. And so they're out with their friends, and they're just having a good time, and 11 o'clock's coming, and they know they got to get home, but they start thinking things like this. They said that I have to be home at 11 o'clock, but maybe by I, they meant everyone in the world really should be home by 11 o'clock, not me specifically. Maybe by I, what they were saying is, is like my friends and other people that I know. Maybe that's what they meant. By I have to be home by 11 o'clock. What did they mean by home? Maybe by home they meant someone else's home. Home is where the heart is. Maybe it's just my own choice. 11 o'clock, maybe they meant 11 a.m., not p.m. Hey, maybe I can come home tomorrow morning. Or maybe it's 11 o'clock in a different time zone, and that means I have more time with my friends. And we can take an instruction. We can take something that's clear, and boy, we can make a mess out of it, can't we? I think I remember doing something a little like that when I was about 16 years old, too, with my parents. And Philip is determined to bring some clarity to this Ethiopian. The message of the gospel is clear. The spiritual sticking point doesn't mean 
that we have to know everything about the Bible, but the message of the gospel and what Jesus did is absolutely crystal clear. The fourth and last spiritual sticking point is this. It may be that well, I, I can't believe or I don't want to believe or what do I believe, but it also may be this. I do believe. Isn't that enough? And the answer to that question is yes and no. Here's why. The Bible is also clear that merely agreeing with the gospel message is not enough. We can, we can accept it logically. We can accept it intellectually. We can believe in it from an academic standpoint and from an intelligent standpoint. But the Bible says in James 2.19 that you believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder. See, mere belief intellectually or generally is just not enough. But James, or uh, excuse me, John 1.12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I think that John 1.12 really gives us clarity on this whole idea. If we investigate the claims for Christ, that at some point in time we come to this end and this equation, and this idea, and maybe this is just simple enough to help you, that there is belief, there is intellectual belief, there's heart belief, but there's also the receiving of the gift that God gave us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the, say those next two words with me, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Listen, we may get to the point where we believe but at some point in time, we have to, please don't miss this. If you've missed everything else, don't miss this. At some point in time, in our hearts and who we are, the depth of who we are, we have to choose to then receive that gift. I know it's hard to believe, but we can reject free gifts. We can reject free gifts. We do it all the time. We reject free gifts. I, I remember one time I was newly married. Cynthia and I will have been married 22 years this summer. And I was newly married, and I wasn't very smart or wise yet. And I've gotten barely smarter and not a whole lot wiser since then, but that's okay. And my sister-in-laws, one was in high school and one was in college, pulled together some money, and they bought me a tie. And it was wide, and it had big, like, polka dots on it. <laughs> and I received it and my look was probably like are you serious like is this a white elephant gift because I didn't buy one <laughs> what do I do now <laughs> I didn't receive that gift very kindly I didn't receive it very well we do the same thing with God when we reject his offer that's free he can offer it to us and we can believe it here, and we can even believe it here. But until we receive that into our lives, it's powerless. And so the equation is believe plus receive equals become children of God. And at the end of searching for the case for Christ, if it all makes sense and we believe it in our hearts at some point in time, we have to choose to take that on, to take that free gift on in our lives. And the Ethiopian did it. It is my favorite part of the story. 
verse 36 through 39. There they are. Philip's explained it to them. And as they're going down the road, they came to some water. And the, the, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from now being baptized? Baptism being the result of his belief. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And it's kind of like going like on south on, on I-95, or if you're going back to Ohio north, okay? Heading north on I-95, and there's been a big rain, and there's a puddle in the road. And you're so serious about your new faith, and you want to follow in believer's baptism, that you're like, I want to get baptized in that nasty puddle on the side of the road. Because there's a passion and an authenticity about receiving what God has already offered. That's the picture of someone who investigated the claims of Christ and received that gift. Man, that's awesome. We've all been there. We've all had times where we said, I can't believe, or I don't want to believe, or I don't know what to believe, or I've believed, but now what? My prayer and my hope is that each one of you could say today that you've believed and you've received, and if you've done that, you've become children of God, and your future is secure forever. Here in a moment when I pray, I'm going to give some of you the opportunity who walked in this room today as skeptics or doubters, seekers, to accept that free gift. And I realize that some of you are Christians, and you've been a Christian for a long time, you may be like, yep, same thing over and over again. Same thing over and over again. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because this is the most important decision that anyone can ever make because it's a decision for eternity. Father God, I thank you so much for um, Lee's life, for this Ethiopian's life, for Philip's example. And God, right now, I pray for those who are in this room who may be doubters, they may be skeptics, they, they may not fully understand all of your word. And God, right now, I just pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would just bring them to a place of trusting you to be their savior. God, I pray that they would receive that gift. Maybe they've settled it in their mind. Maybe they've settled it in their hearts even. And they believe in you. But it's time for them to really take action and receive the gift that you have offered them of eternity in heaven. And if you're here right now in this place and um, something that was said or that you saw or someone said to you or it was sung has really like, it's just kind of clicked today today you're ready to receive God's free gift and know for sure that when you die you will be in heaven without a doubt. The Bible does not give us a list of hoops to jump through. In fact, Jesus' death on the cross completed all the hoops that are necessary for us to do to receive salvation for eternity. <laughs> the only thing that we're left to do is to receive that message and so if you're here today I'm going to pray a prayer out loud and I want to invite you the best way you can just to pray that same prayer in your own words just you and God just quietly here in this place it's a prayer that goes something like this 
God, thanks for making me. And thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And I've believed you, but now it's time for me to receive you as my Savior. Right now, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I admit that that sin keeps me from you. And today, I trust in you to be my Savior. And today, I receive the free gift of eternal life. If you prayed that prayer or something very similar to it, just you and God with every head bowed, bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to call you down or anything. I just want to pray for you. Awesome. Awesome. Keep them up for a moment, please, if you would. I want to pray for you. God, I thank you so much for these who have their hands raised. And for those who may not have their hands raised, but um, God, they prayed that prayer in their heart to you. God, I pray that you would help anchor them to your word and to a church near where they live. God, that would just help them in their faith walk. And God, I pray that you would help them to no longer doubt, but that they would trust that because of the decision they made right now today, they are in heaven with you for eternity. And God, we just thank you for the work that you're doing in the life of our church. God, help us to understand what a great purpose you have for each one of us when we discover that you loved us so much that you would die for us. Oh, life is so different. It's so much more worth living when we understand that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.